if you are nationally ranged now, to launch a new beer brand ex- separate from any company or brand that exists now and get nationally ranged, it would be extremely difficult. Welcome to Brews News Week, recorded on 13 October 2022, episode 390. I'm Matt Kirkegaard, founder and editor of Brews News, and this week I'm joined by industry consultant Sabrina Kunz and by Joe Cook, founder and general manager at Beer Fans. Joe, thanks for joining us today. You're most welcome. I'm looking forward to it. We had you on the uh, Beer as a Conversation recently and uh, had a great response, had some really interesting uh, feedback, and I believe you had some good feedback as well, which is nice. Yeah, it is nice. Um, I mentioned uh, in that pod that the culture of our industry is awesome and the support was great. I received some text messages, some notes on LinkedIn and uh, whatnot. So yeah, here I am again. We'll see if we can uh, replicate the success from the last one. Apparently you, you generated a few sales or some uh, some interest. So anyone who's listening may want to uh, run an ad and get a little bit of the, uh, you called it the Rallings effect as well. You referred to the Rallings effect. Yes, yes. We we uh, definitely uh, had some people ring up and uh, touch base um, who want to be involved with beer fans. So thank you very much. I had to laugh about the Rallings effect. That's probably the third person who's been involved in sort of a podcast or anywhere who's actually referred to it as that term and I'm like why isn't it the bruise news effect <laughs> and I said to Matt I was like so we've created such a such a vibe around the way that the rallying's ad read goes that um anyway I just thought it was hilarious so you're not the first to have called it that which well, is this very week, amusing uh, we, we brought uh, by Bintani so let's call it the Bintani effect for this week because uh, thank you to the, the guys Bintani, Bintani. but anyway big week of news uh some interesting news this week. Um, Drinkwise and Bowls Australia launch uh, a campaign to promote lower alcohol beer. Um, the campaign Lighter Choice Better Bowls was launched this week at the Everton Park Bowls and Community Club in Brisbane by Minister for Sport and Aged Care, the Honorary Annika Wells MP. Um, this is a Queensland story. The Lighter Choice Better Bowls encourages lawn bowlers across Australia to swap full strength alcohol for zero, low and mid strength options as a means to help reduce their alcohol consumption to ensure they can look after their health and perform to their peak on the greens. Um, we'll see the introduction of zero, low and mid strength alcohol options at all Australian bowls clubs, supported by fun and informative posters, bar mats and coasters. A couple of things, I guess it's great to see the industry taking a lead on this, but then it'll be really interesting. I wonder whether we'll get any data to see whether it's leading to a switch um, at some of these venues. I personally looked into this in a fair bit of detail because I was a bit perplexed at why uh, Drinkwise was focusing on bowls members. And I went down a bit of a rabbit hole on it, actually. So if you don't mind, <laughs> bear with no, me. No, go for it. Um, so I like it's always interesting when they put a statistic in without a reference. So they're focusing, and they said that, you know, uh, of the 55 um, plus uh, people, they account for 70% of alcohol consumers. So I was interested to work, to find out where they got that from um, because probably by volume, they're not the biggest consumers of alcohol, the 55 plus. So I went on to the National Alcohol and Drug Knowledge Base who said that the 55 plus uh, drinkers, only 50% of them have two drinks a week, perhaps. 
so I, it's an interesting market for Drinkwise to really focus on. Wait, so can I just on the market question? So I actually recalled, so I didn't even read the article. I saw the headline, Annika Wells is my local minister. So I saw it pop up on her Facebook on the weekend. I was like, oh yeah, immediately I went, that makes a lot of sense. And the reason I thought that makes a lot of sense is earlier in this year, um, we reported on a recent study by the anti-alcohol lobby company, Fair, is that, um, yep. Matt, is that right? Fair. And they um, have quoted these statistics. So they have done their own research, obviously, with uh, their methodologies and their lens and have identified the over 55 market. Um, and in their thing, it was sort of, I, I recall, and I could be wrong, but regional, uh, particularly regional, uh, and they were like, this is a problem drinker group that needs targeting and so my logic having not read anything went Drinkwise are trying to act in accordance with what uh, the naysayers are saying needs to occur and I don't know to your point around sort of the data but that's definitely like I recall that statistic from earlier in the year specifically and that was where it came from so not from a um, separate robust study I guess is the way, not from sort of a statistics through the ABS or anything like that, but from 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 that particular report. So that's I just flag that as a logic flow through. Fair, fair enough. But then if you look at bowls clubs and the investment in like bowls clubs, so the latest information I could find about how bowls clubs are actually going post COVID and like you know just as a like um, you know membership group and a um, a sport was the strategic facility review of bowls that the ACT did, and they released this in June um, 2021. And I can put the... Um, it's a 154-page report if you really want to <laughs> get deep on bowls clubs. But they had some like a few interesting um, call-outs and some recommendations and changes. But the reality is they're facing two major factors. One's diminishing membership base, and two is low adoption of the next generation. So these bowls clubs are in actual trouble right so mm. the, the the reality is that they don't have enough funds to even maintain greens um there's there's a lot of issues going on um so in terms of like where they should be focusing in their attention i'm sure the bowls clubs love the pr like regardless of what it's about um so we're talking about bowls clubs but um of every hundred dollars that's spent at a bowls clubs 54 bucks is spent over the bar uh, so it is important that the bar is well-serviced and well-stocked and has a range of um, options. Uh, but I thought it was interesting that, you know, they're happy to spend all this money on coasters and bar mats and posters across 1,800-plus clubs when I'm sure if you really got down to the grassroots and spoke to the bowls clubs, they would much prefer that two or three grand per um, bowls club spent on, you know, a letterbox drop or publicity around getting new members and whatnot. So I've got two um, personal anecdotes around this. So one wearing my sport governance hat. So um, folks might know I sat on a bunch of boards for rugby league at like grassroots and sort of semi-professional level. And all sports everywhere that are club related are in decline, particularly any with facilities um, across all sports. But with bowls in particular, um, so in my local area, a craft brewery tried to go into a bowls club. Uh, it had the facility, but they're member-based organisations. And so after about a year of due diligence, 
uh, of planning um, with the the leaders of the bowls club, as it were. Um, you know, the the brewery spent about a million dollars on town planning, so and so. The members voted it down, and the members are uh, over fifty five. Uh, want somewhere to go where they can. Um, uh, spend $54 on the bar and not contribute to the thing. So it is actually this bowls in particular, like other like other sports. So, um, you know, we saw this in rugby league as, as well around their grounds, but in particular are really struggling with trying to get that next generation interested in the sport and therefore investment in the facilities. And so the bar is one of the only ways that do it. But because most of them are membership-based, they can't get the votes from the members to enable them to make the changes to keep the bowls club alive. And so I have no doubt that this was a twofer in terms of drink-wise partnering with a sport wanting to target it and the Minister for Sport, uh, Federal Minister for Sport, I'm no doubt, was like, well, maybe this will get some attention for bowls. And then just on a really hilarious note, has any have you guys seen the movie Cracker Jack with Mick Malloy? It's very old, but he basically does that. So it's a very Australian way of like bringing in the next generation to bowls. It was very amusing. So I flag all of those things. You know, bowls clubs, I was a member of my local bowls club 25 years ago because there weren't any... Local. <laughs> oh, no, I'm, I'm kidding. I was on. Uh, I played competitive bowls. I, I got sucked in. In your twenties, you played, played because there were no bowls. pubs nearby. You're I an am. Um, it was you know better than golf. Um, if you played badly, you didn't have to walk as far. Um, but uh, you know, even then, it was uh, inner city uh, Brisbane bowls club that had three greens. At once upon a time, it was one of the you know, peak bowls clubs, you know, it was in a suburb that when I was growing up was the pensioner suburb and it was huge. And um, by the time I was there, there was only playing members. I were down to using one green. I don't think I'd been to more funerals uh, than when I was a member of the club um, because literally bowlers are dying off. And, and, and it is very hard, you know, in, in, in the modern world for a game that takes several hours to play to get somebody to commit Um to, to, to doing it and uh, as you said Sabrina a lot of those sorts of clubs you know golf clubs tennis clubs are all struggling a little bit do you think this is a way to encourage younger people to join by making the beer offer more relevant or is it a low risk way for the industry to effectively market itself as being responsible by you know it, it's the, the the clubs are struggling already they can make a big noise about something that is zero risk to them um and it, it, it's all upside yeah i read this i was like this is great this is all upside this is all um we are very responsible we're targeting a group that fair have told us need targeting look at us we're doing it. We're making the investment. And I will say Drinkwise have been smart. They've done other campaigns that we talked about earlier this year that really targeted, um, you know, younger drinkers in a completely different way. So, you know, I'm all great. I but again, this. So, I like, and great. the point I was Everybody making in that is, you know, that there's a fair <laughs> bit of window dressing in this because there's no downside to them. They're not taking a risk, um, either bowls or uh, the, the, the alcohol industry. Um, but is that necessarily a bad thing you know if uh as we talked about on the um uh rugby league you know they're not stopping the guys from chugging beers on camera um or criticizing their behavior on mad monday with something that could have a massive not effect publicly. yeah well publicly is when they should they're doing this publicly 
because there's no risk. Should they be holding drunken football players to account as a way to actually change behaviours uh, more importantly? I think that's a can of worms, frankly. That's a whole longer conversation around across other sports and where alcohol might be a bigger problem. But if they can address um, like a identified problem group, as I've now found out, um, and they can do it in a sort of low-risk way, I think it's really positive. But it would be yep. remiss of us not to mention uh, Bolo Beer. I'm not sure if you guys are familiar with them, but Bolo yeah. Beer is a single beer brand and makes Australian lager. They've got great merch, funnily enough. Um, but uh, uh, part of their profits actually go back to supporting um, local bowls clubs. So um, they're a great beer to have on board because if the bar is the only place that's continuing to grow uh, and they're making the most money out of that, if it can be a two-for-one by getting a portion of those profits like given back to them, um, I think that's really positive. So I wouldn't be surprised or I would suggest that Bolo Beer perhaps thinks about a low or no option to add to their single uh, beer offering um, to put in bowls clubs. Because that was the other thing I thought of was that a lot of these bowls clubs, are um, their taps are aligned with one of the large producers. Although as we've written about, a lot of bowls clubs have started to see that as a way to bring in a younger audience. And uh, we've written a couple of articles in the past about bowls clubs particularly that have you know, axed the pokies and brought in craft beer to try and be relevant to a different generation. Yeah, I guess where I was at was all of those big guys have a lighter mid option mm. that they can provide and they are the primary funders of Drinkwise. Which again um, is, is where, you know, maybe it's just marketing, but it's good marketing um, because I saw some data from CGA this week saying that, you know, a significant percentage of people trial products on premise. So, you know, if you want to introduce uh, low, you know, zero low and mid strength options to that audience um, on premise at the bowls club, when you can just buy a schooner um, or a uh, a pot, um, is interesting. And again, going back to to my own experiences with the bowls club, it was an incredibly social way. They tended to just have heavy, but you would have a pony, like you would have a because you had the five, seven, nine ounce beers. And you would have one at the end and most of the bowls clubs would have the smaller size because you could have it in between ends and not slow the game down. So rather than drinking more, they were sort of drinking less, fewer, which was an interesting thing. This might be another way to uh, to, to encourage people to try something. Speaking of trialling things on premise, <laughs> beer fans partners with Endeavour Drinks. Beer fans has commenced a trial with Endeavour Drinks Group to sell merchandise in BWS, the new BWS concept store in Mount Hawthorne, East Perth. We'll be running a trial to sell beer branded merchandise in store as part of supporting local beer fans. Existing network of brands will be leveraged to provide shoppers to the chance to complement their beer purchase with branded merchandise all in one transaction. Phase one of the trial will see it build to 20 to 30 stores with further opportunity. Joe, um, got any thoughts on this? That's a great idea, obviously. Uh... <laughs> No, it's it's really interesting, right? So um, this was like a just an opportunistic thing that came about of uh, off the back of my relationship with Dan's, uh, having uh, had our wines uh, in Dan's uh, when I was at Right Wine Co. Um, and it's funny, like when I was um, talking to Billy Ryan around what I was doing next. Who got really excited because they've been trying to crack merch for a long time, but given there's such a long tail of small brands and they're a, a big cumbersome business that they haven't been able to consume the, I guess, 
you know, outside of booze. Yeah, and the logistics was really challenging. Um, so us becoming an aggregator of all these brands and being able to um, put them into Dan's was a win for both, you know, beer brands and um, EDG. Clearly great for beer fans. And uh, you teased this on our chat, uh, or you, you told us a little bit about this on uh, on, on your chat recently on uh, Beer as a Conversation. As, you know, one of the things I've pointed out is, you know, this, the billing this as supporting local. And during COVID, we saw a big push for, you know, love your local through BWS stores. Um, but that very quickly gave way to uh, a number of the local beers quietly being dropped and, uh, you know, EDG's own brands replacing them. You know, do you do you worry a little bit that you might be building a model that, you know, becomes dependent on BWS that they can go, well, okay, well, we're just going to vertically integrate this as we've done with a number of other brands. You know, how do you approach that as a, as a small businessman? Well, ideally, if they do want to vertically integrate, they come and buy beer fans and they <laughs> uh, do it that way. Uh, <laughs> but no, outside of that, I don't, I, don't, I don't think so. I don't think that would happen um, just based on the fact that they have some core competencies that they know that they're, they're very good at. Um, merch will never be a line item that outweighs a particular beverage category. Uh, I think it's a great compliment and getting more from their existing customer base and their database. Um, so I think there's plenty of upside with relatively low risk for them, particularly if um, someone like Beer Fans is managing it for the retailer. And then on the other side for like the brands, it's huge exposure. Um, like to get any space in a dance or BWS um, to get a job lot or add a gift with mm. purchase is, is a really expensive exercise. Um, you've got to fit a very sort of specific uh, range of guidelines whereas with this model beer fans is literally buying wholesale products we're then doing all the administration so it can be consumed by you know the big machine and then uh, we're on selling it for a small margin to dance uh, and then they're selling they own the stock there's no consignment there's no send back it's um so it, it's uh, i see it as like only upside for a beer brand that is featured in in the store the thing with merchandise for me is um you know, and, and I, I guess you guys both talked about it last week, but there are certainly some beer brands that we've seen that realised really early on the margins they could make on their merch versus the margins they could make on their beer and ran really hard both alongside each other as revenue streams. And I just, you know, for me, I think there are, and you guys touched on it, some brands that haven't really understood this yet, but there are some that are starting, you're starting to see the push on merch. And certainly in the States uh, and North America, you know, the the merchandise is as much a part of the experience and the buy-in. And that's just, it's still coming here, I think. There's, the growth hasn't happened in the same way. So I just saw this as, yeah, why wouldn't you? Like if you're out and you've travelled to... Perth and you've never been to Perth before and you're staying in an Airbnb and you go down to your local and you pick up a six pack and you're like, oh, I'm not going to make it out to uh, Gage Roads, but cool, there's a t-shirt. I can take that home for my dad, my brother, my sister, um, and I'm done. Why not, right? So I just sort of, you know, to me, I, I got it. Um, and I think it's such a, hopefully, from a margin perspective, when you wear the small brewery hat or the large brewery hat in the case of Gage, like that, that's worth it to them. It helps them make their good beer. 
Yeah, and certainly like the margin story is an interesting one, right? Because there hasn't been any wholesale opportunities for merch until beer fans really existed. There's been drips and drabs at festivals and bits and pieces, but like now beer fans are now having the opportunity to put into like a, a range of EDG stores. Um, it hasn't existed. So there's still some work around lowering the cost of goods of merch um, to make sure that it is a profit center for beer brands. But that's something we're working hard on um, solving for beer brands as well. It's an interesting, and again, this isn't a criticism, or, 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 but it's just an observation of the potential outcomes of something like this. We're seeing, you know, more brands starting in in the industry, um, but we're seeing fewer ranged as well. Um, I, I presume that the merch that's going to be ranged in a BWS will be the merch that they stock, Joe. Yes, certainly. And that makes the most sense. Like it's complimentary, yeah. right? Like it's very unlikely that someone's just going in to buy a t-shirt, right? They're, they're going to buy a t-shirt and a six pack, a four pack or a case of Of course, but it makes sense brand. that they're not going to go in and buy Brewery X, but buy Brewery Y that's not ranged in that uh, BWS's you know, t-shirt or um, Barblade, for example. Yeah, but also remember that... Um, they have different ranging in different stores. And so some stores are quite regionally focused. So they'll have like a lot of Perth brands in a Perth BWS, for for instance. So there is opportunity for beer brands all over the country based on where these stores are opening to to be ranged. They might not be nationally ranged for their merch. It might be in their store closest to their beer brand for what I like to call, and Sabrina mentioned, postcard merchandise. Mm. Uh, I've been here, so I've bought this piece of merch. Um, So... There's, I think there's opportunity for um, for everyone. But yes, it will be the people that that are ranged. Yeah, no, and, and look, if, if it takes off again, it, it, this is a facts of life observation as opposed to any form of, um, you know, criticism or judgment on it. But I, I do wonder whether this is going to start seeing additional tiering um, within the industry where the bigger brands that can get wider ranging then also have you know, this advantage, it's another revenue stream that they get that, you know, it, it, it's almost like the, the, the football divisions that, you know, the um, teams that have, you know, playing the first division with bigger crowds, more access to television, automatically have higher earning potential, can get the bigger players, which gives them the, the, the advantage, whereas the, the, the smaller, you know, we, we really are starting to see... Um, you know, not so much haves and have have nots, but tiering within the brewing industry, even for brands that want to have a wider distribution. I was just going to say that, Matt. I think we're already there. Like, I mean, I accept all of those observations, um, as I'm sure everybody has heard me be very um, concerned about the narrowing retail channels available for small breweries in terms of, mm. you know, at, a, at an industry-wide level. But I think, you know, we've talked about it. You Launching a 2 million plus litreage brewery a year now is much, much harder, more competitive. The landscape is fundamentally dis- different to those that have grown to that size over the last five to 10 years. And so I think we're already there, right? Your point around if you are nationally ranged now, to launch a new beer brand ex- separate from any company or brand that exists now and get nationally ranged it would be extremely difficult. We live in a um, capitalistic 
world. Oh, yeah, no, right? that, that, that's, that's why it's like a fact the, of life observation as opposed yeah. to a criticism. It's not school sports day where everyone wins a ribbon. Um, but it, like, it, but new brands are popping up everywhere, right? And they are mm. popping up in the toughest environments and big brands like are, are still being built um, and creating a fair bit of demand for them. Um, like, you know, mountain culture sort of popping up um, during COVID, for instance, you know, and now it's this massive brand. Mm. Um, yeah, I think there's always going to be brands mm. that like rise to the top and um, they're the ones that are going to be ranged and get um, further distribution. And um, yeah, I think... And, and, and I, again, I only say that, I, I think, because you make a very good point that it's a capitalist system. Um, and yet one of the, just the underlying mindsets that I still get in the industry um, is we're special and we need to be somehow coddled and protected. Um, and, you know, every brewery needs to, you know, be pushed and supported as it was when craft brewing started. And maybe we might uh, jump ahead in, in the stories, um, Sabrina, to Brewery Radar, because that actually brings in... the same thing, Matt. Because that actually brings in... Yesterday, we published our Brewery Radar um, and the Brews News uh, Brewery Database, um, which is powered by Convoy, um, has officially ticked over the 600 physical brewery mark with 603 physical breweries open across the country. Um, how, how many breweries... 27 breweries company, we, we highlighted in the brewery radar 27 companies in various stages of development, but I think we've got, we're tracking over 100 nationally on our database of brands that are in, you know, from, from concept going right through. And I, I, I guess I raise that, Joe, um, not to have a go at and, you know, anybody, but there is still this mindset that I hear from budding beer entrepreneurs that the market is growing. If I build it, they will come and, you know, everybody's going to get behind my idea that I cooked up with a couple of mates on, on a weekend because we love homebrew and drinking beer. And that's just not the world that we live in anymore. Matt, I've just had a quick look at the numbers there. We're tracking about 115 breweries and brewing brands. So, um, you know, often at the early stages, it's unclear what it's going to become. Um, but, you know, it's on our radar in terms of um, all the various ways folks can come on the radar. So that's sort of another 115 that might be a new product out in the world. Joe? I, I think it's interesting, right, because um, there's uh, like the way I'm understanding Matt is like like uh, is there too many breweries already adding another hundred does that make the market saturated but if you I uh, listened to Sam Reed's podcast yesterday which we'll probably talk about a bit later on in this yeah. pod but back in 2010 when he was with Guinness he got into cider because he thought the craft market was saturated I just wonder if yeah. in another 10 years if we'll look back at now going you know 600 breweries with another hundred in planning if we go oh how naive we were um, that there was enough room for it. And I think there probably is, like my perspective at least, um, based on no data at all, but my sort of gut feel and being a part of the industry is that with enough research, I think there, are, there is room for more breweries. And what I mean by that is like uh, particularly regional breweries or finding spots in like particular markets where it's not saturated with breweries, there is space for more. But is there space for more breweries like Bolter and Pirate Life and Four Pines that are going to grow to these multi-million um, 
you know, leverage breweries and then sell off to the big guys? Probably not. And you've mentioned it before in the past. If, if you want a passion project job that is going to pay a reasonable salary and you get to live and work in your dream brewery slash bar tap room. Um, working very hard be, doing it. Just I'm just going to throw in working very hard doing it. Totally. Owning your own thing isn't easy at all. Um, so, but, it, but if that is something that you're passionate about, then yes, I, I certainly believe there's room in the market. I agree with that 100%, Joe, also based on no data, but based on sort of watching all the things all the time. Um, and, you know, the Duquesne story, which I guess we'll get to shortly, but that was an observation of like, why don't we have a brewery here? And yeah, we want to service this local market. And I think that is still when we are watching, you know, if you read through that brewery radar, they're popping up in Warwick which is a small town in Queensland, you know, they're popping up in these little regional locations and servicing local and that makes sense. And that's why, you know, back to Matt's point around the tiers, you know, when you think about the brands that have launched in the last two, three, four, five years, not many of them have grown to that, to be that national ranged large scale brewery, you know, um, and so, um there is going to be need to have a difference of approach, but also eyes wide open. You can't get into the craft beer market, then be pissed off at how much everything costs, how low the margins are, <laughs> why it's so competitive, why aren't you nationally ranged, why doesn't beta, why doesn't dance make this easy for me, why doesn't this do this, why don't I have that? I can't find staff. We have structural problems, and so if you were going to start a brewery in this environment. All the information that you need to know about this market is available to you in a way that it wasn't 10 or 15 years ago. And so it just has to be an eyes wide open thing and you do need to pick your spot and know what it is that you, we talked off Mike earlier about competitive advantage. What is it that you're bringing to the market that's different from two doors down the road? And if you are not clear on that, then it's going to be a really tough market for you to be in. Again, don't disagree with any of that, you know, and I agree with Joe that, you know, I would never say um, that there are too many breweries or it's saturated because ideas matter less than execution and where you go and how you go about doing it can certainly work um, if you do it well. I guess when you say that there is no data or you don't have any data, um, I look at some of the objective things that we do have access to Alcohol consumption is going down. Beer forms a smaller percentage of the alcohol that is being consumed. Um, you know, brewers are innovating to try and claw back, uh, you know, percentage of that. But against that backdrop, we're seeing more manufacturers of that product vying. Um, and when you look, when we do get a peek behind the curtains of businesses and you know it's, it's one of the benefits of equity crowdfunding and seeing financial reports there aren't a lot of breweries making a lot of beer and making a profit doing that and to me um and and just the anecdotal stuff i hear from people that you know are expressing concern about you know the post-covid world um it's tough so are we oversaturated i would never make that call is it a much tougher market than a lot of people thought it was going into it most definitely um and if you're going to do it as you said don't complain about the market that you enter sabrina and also go into it with your eyes open and i i, I just know from experience the number of 
people that have you know come and had a chat with me informally about the industry as I've planned a brewery. And, you know, I'm, I spend the first two or three hours trying to talk anybody out of opening a brewery. As much as I love breweries, want to see great breweries, my first job is to stress test your idea and try and talk you out of it because I don't want to be the guy looking at you close after 12 months. And Matt, I've actually been, um, I was privileged to have that sort of conversation with you at the beginning of Beer Fans. I'm not sure if you recall, but we had coffee. I do, no, I remember, yeah. uh, Before Beer Fans was even a thing and I was was pitching you the business model and uh, you were doing exactly that. And I I got a lot of um, benefit out of it actually. And um, yeah, I I really appreciated that conversation and I believe Beer Fans is better for us. So thank you. Well, thank you because I I feel like I'm, the chicken little of, of, of the brewing industry, but I, I love the industry. I want to see it expand. I want to see it grow. But when I read, you know, like again, equity crowdfunding, it is an industry that is sucking people in on hype. You know, so not sucking them in, but it's drawing them in on hype. And even when you see the pictures in equity crowdfunding documents, they're using figures that are well out of date. We don't have good industry data. They're talking about craft beer is growing at double-digit rates, where I don't think anywhere in the world craft beer is growing in terms of market share at double-digit rates anymore. Um, and none of the data is sourced um, or it's not current. Um, and yet this is the story that's being told. I-, I thought it was interesting from the brewery radar that it might actually be more lucrative to open a rural brewery um, from grassroots then actually raised during uh with through virtual and the example in brewery radar is uh mafco brewery and tap house that received a 400k investment from the regional tourism investment fund um that that they've got that to renovate their building to open their tap room all sorts of great stuff whereas you have the opposite of like say future magic who tried to raise money or successfully raise money through virtual and only raised 280 298 thousand um when it may have been less effort and uh, more lucrative to open something regional. Or they could have bought one of the breweries in that has all of the approvals and is already to brew from day one for a third of what they value their untested business model at. <laughs> so you've got businesses that have spent more than them that have been open for a couple of years and are selling for less than they value. And untried. You know, again, no criticism of those guys. Maybe they'll work. Who knows? All I'm saying is that businesses that have tried and are wanting to sell can't get the valuation that businesses that haven't opened are valuing themselves at. Um, so yeah, why why build when you can buy is 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 is, is my thinking. I I also think a couple of things around sort of brewery radar, brewery database. Um, it's much easier for us to track openings and um, potential openings of breweries, but also launch of brands. Um, there's quite a lot of breweries that when they close, they don't announce they close. Just social media hasn't been updated in two years. The brand, you know, if you launched as a brand, you know, no longer a brand. And keeping on top of that is really difficult. So I just mark, you know, I just flag that because we often talk about openings um, and a lot of the, the marketing is about openings. And so that suggests that there's room to open, that there's um, support, that it's easy. We just don't talk about closures as much because they're not as public. So something that that Bruce News is looking at is sort of um, not to plug the next thing, but you sort of mentioned tourism investment funds. Some states um, receive much better support, actual dollar support from government 
to set up a brewery. Queensland is not one of them. Um, WA is one of them. And so, you know, that difference alone, you know, is really about a business incentive about where to open and, and is it easy to open. And so when we're starting to look at the States of Brewing report um, that's coming up for release by Brews News in February, March next year, you know, one of the questions that I have is what is the rate of opens versus closures in each state and what does that say about the actual general market um, and support and elsewhere? And that is something that is, you know, I've posed that question to the journalists and the answer I've got back is, well, that's really, really, really hard to know. Mm. So we're looking at kind of trying to do an audit of that at the moment across known brands and companies, but it's, so just to sort of flag that piece around, it's really easy to talk about growth and openings and there's still room, but we just, the flip side of that is, well, what's actually going on with brands that are exiting and closing? And we know some of them because they sell their equipment, um, they're for sale and again, not to jump. But even on that, Sabrina, the, <laughs> the ones that are selling, you know, I think I've heard of eight or nine breweries nationally that are selling. A lot of people in the industry quietly know about it, but even the sales are never publicized because they're operating businesses that they don't want people to know are for sale because it might hurt the business and hurt their revenue. So, yeah, so breweries sort of open sales, loud. Is, breweries open yeah. very loud because they want the publicity. They fundraise or equity, you know, they, they, they want their free money um, on equity crowdfunding loud because hype is what generates the free money. But when they're struggling, they do that very, very, very quietly because they don't want anyone to know. And it gives a highly distorted picture of what the marketplace is like for anyone that is thinking, hey, this looks like a fun industry to go into. I get to drink beer all day. There is a brewery who was for sale that's not for sale. Lord Nelson withdraws brewery from sale. Uh, almost one year after being listed for sale, the owners of the Lord Nelson Brewery have taken the venue off the market. The announcement was made to the company's Facebook page last week, stating it was business as usual as it reversed the initial decision to sell. Uh, no one at the brewery immediately responded to our request for comment prior to publication, though... Uh, Somebody on behalf of the brewery replied to comments on the Facebook page saying a lot has changed since the sale announcement and that the current custodians have changed their mind regarding this sale. So we're no longer for sale, the post read. At the time of the sale, you know, which again was trumpeted, bringing it to everyone's attention, I think the real estate agents were saying that the the business, the venue and the brands could sell for as much as $35 million. Clearly that price wasn't reached. Um, and when you look at some of the sales that have taken place, uh, you know, the, it, it's a beautiful building um, with, you'd imagine, some significant uh, uh, value to, to, to the um, premises, but uh, clearly, for whatever reason, has uh, decided not to go ahead with it. Yeah, I had a, um, a look at this. I thought it was super interesting. Um, I, was, I was wondering if they had sort of um, done what Easy Time are planning to do and just traded out of their financial woes or... Um, Were they in financial woes? Well, I, I read the article that you guys posted in November last year and they cited like two two main reasons really. One was that they'd run out of energy to run these brands, uh, run, run, the, run the venue and the brand. And the other was like sort of financial pressures. Um, mm. uh, but yeah, I've, I don't know if you guys have completed like an ASIC search to see if there's been a new shareholder added to the Lord Nelson or anything like that. That would be sort of my guess is that's happened because it's still a challenging trading environment, right? Like 
hospitality is struggling with staff and cooks and whatnot. And then if you take it like the one step further, I went onto JLL website to see how many hotel hotels were for sale. And just in that one real estate agent alone, they have 52 hotels mm. available to buy. Wow. And then you go onto real, realcommercial.com.au um, to have a look at you know what's available nationally. And there's over a thousand available um, nationally. So... Um, there's a lot of competition in the market to be selling a yeah. venue. It's really, it's still a really challenging trading environment. So, sort of me trying to read between the lines and put some assumptions there, I, th- I would suggest that they've had a bit of a capital injection um, and potentially a new shareholder on board. Uh, just looking at the ASIC, uh, Lord Nelson Brewery Hotel PTYLTD hasn't updated its ASIC registers since 2018. So, when it said current custodians, um, not to, I'm not, I'm just. I'm focused on the word current as opposed to the word custodians. Um, so I just sort of, to me, I saw that and thought, okay, same thing as you. There's been some sort of change in maybe not even necessarily ownership but the people who are managing it and maybe they've got renewed energy and can see a way forward or, to your point, have decided it's not worth the losses to sell, you know, at the price that they would have to and they have to find a way to keep trading um, but I just, you know, I think it is a great example of the challenges that the market is facing and that number, that 1,000, is really fascinating because that also supports the flip side, um, which is that hotels are really struggling and they're looking for new ways to keep themselves relevant, which is why they're putting in breweries so that they can t- they can offer that they can find ways to trade out of the situation by by taking on all of the things that we love about a brew pub. So really moving, flipping themselves from that, you know, pokies model to the brew pub family-friendly model. Um, and again, uh, Sam from Duquesne talked about that, but I sort of go, that's really interesting. So that says the hotels are struggling and they're looking for their competitive edge. And we see it as taking from beer, taking it from the brewing industry, but they're going, oh, that looks like that works over there. We're going to adopt that. And and, and the Lord Nelson, again, in the 20 years I've been writing about beer, was one of the foundational craft breweries. It was one of the first uh, brew pubs that I ever visited in in Australia. Um, Very strong brand, well-known, a lot of love amongst an older craft beer drinker. I don't know what their position is in Sydney these days, but it's a hotel that has a craft beer brand that you know again with 600 brands vying for shelves these days um are going to increasingly find it hard to take that brand to a wider audience um i would have thought because uh the laws of physics on shelves um determines how many beers can be stocked outside of your own venue that being said matt the vertical integration of having you know, beer sold at full margin is a huge competitive advantage. And, you Mm. know, you see that with, like, the Little Bang sale that's happened recently, right? Um, So there's, uh, to Sabrina's point about looking for competitive advantages within hotels, um, I'm not surprised that, you know, the largest, you know, selling product in these hotels is, is becoming vertically integrated. Yep. So, Matt, if you were a brewery and you wanted to, um, get your beer out into the world and you thought maybe our current brand isn't working, do you think that you might 
think of some options about what you could do? Yeah, well, I would get a really good branding consultant. And once they'd come up with a brand, I'd have to change all of my labels. And uh, the, the way that I could do that would be contacting Rowling's labels, stickers and packaging. Uh, because, you know, beer can labels are your mini billboard. Um, and as Joe would say, T-shirts are your slightly bigger billboard. That's 100% correct, Matt. Yep. Maybe Rallings should contact beer fans to get some Rallings T-shirts uh, to advertise uh, their, their, their presence as uh, label manufacturers and get a slightly bigger billboard for their mini billboards for uh, Brewers Cans. Look, Ra- Rallings and beer fans are very complimentary services that are available to the whole industry and can be found in Love the show it. notes. Uh, so <laughs> I've hijacked Love Rowlings. It. I apologize, Rowlings. You, you have, although Please. it's all part of the Rowlings review. effect. So, uh, yeah, but uh, call the guys, uh, or as the copy says, seriously, though, to get all the specs right so you can, uh, so your can or bottle looks at the its best at all times, call the guys at Rowlings, label stickers and packaging on 1300 852 235 or email sales at au to see how they can help your brand sing. And you'll find a link to those in the show notes. And Matt, one, one thing before we move away from uh, Rallings is I, I have actually called them before when I was at Right Wine Co. and we were doing 250 mil cans. Um, I rang them after listening to a Bruise News Week uh, because we had to put pregnancy labels on our 250 mil cans and we were looking for different options which might be a good segue into <laughs> our next story, perhaps. You're right. Uh, if you did uh, have to change your uh, labels or if you if you wanted to maybe argue about changing your packaging, uh, FSANS has called for comments on label color changes. Um, it's opened its consultation on submission to change the requirements for pregnancy warning labels on packaging. Brewers have faced technical difficulties in their efforts to implement the red, black and white label on outer packaging. Uh, and I believe this is on corrugated cardboard. And the proposal suggests that the requirement for this color scheme be changed. Submissions can be made on the FSANS website or to your local association. And comments close at 6 p.m. on 16 November 2022. So this is one of those things that uh, I know you're busy in your brewery. But if you have thoughts on it or if it's causing you problems, make sure you make submissions um, because that's how you have your voice heard. Matt, have you um, had a look at the submission process? I, I went down another sort of rabbit hole last night trying to figure out how to do a submission. And I spent a good 20, 25 minutes trying to figure it out. I found it a bit of a circular reference on all their links. And it wasn't as clear cut as I thought it may be. Um, Sabrina, you... You might be more familiar with uh, how this process goes. Is, it, is there sort of a summary you can give beer brands um, to help with that submission process? Yeah, contact your association. Yeah. Okay. Um, so so um, it, it is actually a fairly complex process and your associations are sitting at the table as part of a, you know, verbal and other consultation process. So there's the formal submissions online, which they will do, but they also have access to email addresses, the right people to make sure that the submissions get in. And actually the best thing that you can do, and I'm saying this without having spoken to the IBA or to WABA or to the Brewers Association, but if you have feedback, want your voice heard, want to lend support, you can do that. I'm confident that they will have instructions for what they require from you and that is the best thing that you can do because the large breweries will be making independent submissions on these um, but to make sure that you provide it in the form required uh, in the structure required to have it formally heard that is my number one feedback and you know um, I've said this before on this because this came up a couple of weeks ago we previewed this as associations four years ago 
and did not win and here we are. So the level of work that it sucked from the industry on a foreseeable problem is significant. This is why we need associations. If you're not a member, this join one. This is why we one. need associations. Well, that's great because like, it was really technical when I was having a look at it and it, w- it was a bit of a confusing process if um, they were calling for submissions through their website. So it's good to know that you can go to your association and they can, um, I guess, do as associations do and represent everybody. So great news. Yeah. Now, uh, support for this episode comes from Scar Fabricating. Scar Fabricating builds reliable automated packaging line equipment that is handcrafted to make life easier for breweries and their production teams. If you are a brewer looking for the best way to get your product out of your taproom and into the hands of your customers, Scar Fab has you covered. With a wide range of depalletizers, custom conveyance, date coating, rinsing and drying systems and more, Scar Fab specializes in helping breweries of all sizes get their beer from keg to can. To find out more how Scar Fab can help help you sell more beer visit www.scarfabricating.com today that's s-k-a fabricating.com to get started and if you can't spell you'll find a link in the show notes or on the bruise news directory and we thank scarfab for their help in getting this episode together um last news story for the day and uh gee, looking at the time we've had a, a great chat on what i thought was a quieter sort of week but ABAC complaints increase in the latest quarter, but seem to be down overall. The Alcohol Beverage Advertising Complaints System, or ABAC, anyway. <laughs> no one can ever remember it, and because uh, it's always written as ABAC. I remember it actually. As soon as you started, I thought. I Alcohol Beverage Advertising Code has seen a slight increase in complaints during the third quarter of 2022, according to the latest quarterly report, up to 30 complaints from 21 in the previous quarter. The complaint numbers for the third quarter are the highest so far this year. On a positive note, pre-vetting numbers continue to increase, and that's the service where you can send your ad or your uh, label in um, for uh, approval beforehand. Um, And pre-vetting numbers continue steadily with 954 requests made throughout the recent quarter. 180 of those requests were rejected. It should be noted that just because you meet pre-vetting doesn't mean that you will withstand a complaint. Uh, The report also highlighted areas of concern around alcohol marketing, specifically the use of nostalgic imagery. Some companies like to include in their marketing imagery that is nostalgic for adults, as it reminds them of their youth, ABAC chair Harry Jenkins uh, said in a media release. However, if the appeal of a nostalgic reference or imagery is enduring in its popularity for the current generation of minors, it is likely to breach code standards, as occurred when figures from the Little Miss children's book series were used in social media posts. So, uh, yeah, don't just pull out your, um, you know, Dr. Seuss characters, you know, uh, um, or, you know, Little Miss characters on, on your labels. You're probably not going to pass. Um, any comments on ABAC? Actually, is, is ABAC something, has there ever been a complaint to your knowledge, Joe, about merch and T-shirts uh, being complained to ABAC? I'm not I'm not sure, actually. Um, not not uh, through to beer fans, certainly. But um, we actually do hold ourselves to the ABAC standard as beer fans. Um, we think if the beer brands have to do it across their advertising, that we, we should as well as a, a sort of piece of, marketing i guess if you like um being merch so uh we've had times within um our team where we've reviewed some of our social posts and um, pulled them down uh because we don't believe they would have um stood up to the abac scrutiny and i think that's probably something that was um mentioned in the um in the fine print of the press release that the little mischaracters were actually 
pulled down before ABAC came and told them to pull it down. They sort of self-assessed themselves and had pulled it down. But in, in that short period that they were up, they did get a complaint about that. So they sort of were aligned in the fact that, yes, we probably shouldn't have put that out and didn't meet their own standards. So they pulled it down. Um, but uh, like broadly, I think um, the positive numbers out of this is that the self-assessment stuff is like the pre-vetting um, I, th I think that's really positive. And as there's more brands in the market, there's probably going to be a higher proportion of complaints on like quarter on quarter. But as long as like proportionally between the number of brands in the market and the number of complaints, there's not a huge skew. I think we're, we're heading in the right directions to keep the self-assessment in place. 30 complaints. So if we've got 600 beer brands uh, across uh, beer companies, right? That's not brands. So let's assume brands are more like 800 across the country, each running advertising across multiple platforms every day, and there are 30 complaints in a quarter. That is a really strong number, actually. And I sort of think, you know, and that, you know, we want the service to be taken up. We want people to be utilising the ABAC service because we don't want there to be a government regulatory environment that comes in and steps over the top of this of this process that is working. So we do want people to take up the service. Um, but to your point, that pre-vetting number to me was really great. And the nostalgia one, the other thing I kept thinking about was a lot of companies come out with ice cream varieties and packs you, you know so there are some things that are pretty clear don't put children's figurines but there are things that are um harder and i think it, it, not harder but you could argue um uh well i like to bubble bill when i was a child and that's nostalgic for me but that ice cream is still available predominantly for children and so i think there are lines that continue to be difficult and so i should scrap my beer below bill um beer that i was going to release <laughs> yes you should <laughs> so i you know i just sort of think you know that point around if you post it like assess before you post it don't post it and then assess um which is easier said than done when you're using large organizations with lots of people but you're right you know the, when you look at the number of beer brands and particularly the number of new releases and the amount of competition that's seeing an increase in even social media advertising 30 complaints is pretty low is is very low um and yet we will still have fair um refusing to acknowledge the success of the abac code um, actually actively undermining it despite being the greatest user of it, um, you know, FAIR and their supporters, um, and actually fundamentally changing alcohol marketing in this country through their approach to taking complaints um, over and beyond what community standards are. So anyway, I'd just sort of throw that little bit of editorial in there that ABAC code does seem to be working despite what the people... Uh, so um, we are coming up to an hour. Indies uh, on tonight. By the time you'll have heard this, you will have heard the results of Indies. Congratulations to all the winners. Beer is a conversation this week. Uh, Sam Reed from Duquesne Brewing. Uh, you had, had a listen to that. You were saying, Joe, you found it interesting. Yes, yes. Like I'm, I'm a big supporter of Sam. Back when he, in his Willie Smith days, he was in the first ten brands we spoke to um, uh, at Kegstar. So um, that that. He was a big supporter, and like I mentioned earlier, um, I actually thought he made a funny anecdote when he was talking about his move for working for Big Oil moving and then moving into alcohol. He said he moved from mechanical lubricant to social lubricant, yeah. uh, which I yeah. found quite funny. Uh, but he's a really well-spoken guy with a lot of experience uh, ar around the world, frankly, um, so worth a listen for sure. 
Yeah, and again, he said to me afterwards, I thought we were going to talk about Duquesne. Um, but as, as we do uh, on most of our podcasts, it's, uh, you know, we, 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 we try not to make them uh, advertorial based, but you know, it's, it's nice that you've got a, a, an impact out of it. But as we did with you, Joe, it's talking about what you've learned from a long career in beer and as it might apply to other people in business, um, as well as, you know, how you're applying that to your current venture. That's right. Um, that wraps up another week of news. Your hosts have been me, Matt Kierkegaard, Sabrina Kudens, and special guest star, Joe Cook. Uh, the show is produced by Vivian Topalovich and edited by Joe Helder. We thank Bintani, Rowling's Label Stickers and Packaging, and Scar Fabricating, and of course, beer fans, uh, for their support in making this episode possible. Thank you all for listening. Share your thoughts on the show by emailing producer at brewsnews.com.au or leave a review on your favorite podcasting service. And with that, we're out for another week. <laughs>